right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. What a win! What a win for this Denver Nuggets team as they go uh, up 146 to 112 over the Minnesota Timberwolves tonight. That was our final score, and boy, was it a good one! Boy, was it a fun one for a whole heck of a lot of people. Uh, this was great. This was a great game to watch. Unfortunately, I was not there. I was feeling pretty sick. So uh, you're probably hearing it in my voice. I see it. I look it. I feel it. I promise it's horrible as just as horrible as you think it is. But we are powering through for what was a very fun victory. Uh, this was great. This was a great win for Denver and it started off early. That was the name of the game for this Nuggets team as they go crazy and crushed the Minnesota Timberwolves 146-112 to 112 by setting a NBA season high of 44 assists in regulation. It was great. It was wonderful to see. You always know that the Nuggets are going to go out there at home and try to put on a show, and boy, did they put on a show tonight. And I think you got to start with the king of the hour, Nikola Jokic, although we'll get to Michael Porter in just a little bit. He had a lot of great things go his way, too. Uh, Nikola Jokic, I still think, is the star of this show. 28 minutes, 20 points, 16 assists in just a brief amount of time. And you love to see it with Nikola because when Jamal Murray's out, he was ruled out today with right knee inflammation. Uh, Michael Malone referenced it as maybe a a compensation injury for how much work he's been doing with that surgically repaired left knee. This is a very common thing, but it's why you have to rest it. You do not want to do anything crazy. So Denver goes to their other awesome lineup, which features Bruce Brown at point guard. You have Michael Porter in there as well, along with your your stalwarts, KCP, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic. And I love that lineup for a number of reasons, because what it allows Denver to do is play through Jokic almost exclusively. They go crazy with that group. And Bruce Brown does a great job of getting off ball. He cuts, he moves. They involve Michael Porter just a little bit more. Uh, I, I love Jamal Murray. So like this isn't a this isn't a criticism of him. It's just more of a style of play thing where you play through Jokic and he makes all of the decisions or at least the vast majority of them. And it was very, very cool to see what the Nuggets were able to do with this group out there. And it led to uh, what might have been the best first quarter they have ever played. Uh, Tyler shouts that out. Shout out Tyler. Ryan, the first quarter was the best quarter the Nuggets have played since. Man, I, 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 don't, I don't really have one that comes to mind. I feel like they've scored 50 in a first quarter before. Whether that, Maybe that was against the Washington Wizards earlier this year or something like that. But it felt like an unstoppable group and the combination between that and also holding the T-Wolves to 19, this game was over. It was over in the first quarter alone. And that was a really, really cool thing to see. It was awesome. It was awesome. I love to see it for sure. Jokic in this matchup, you knew that he was going to take it seriously because he was uh, like, he's being guarded by Rudy Gobert or Nas Reed. And I think George uh, shouts out in here, 
and I'm going to put his comment on screen too. The Reed Gobert game plan felt like the Timberwolves trying to replicate the PJ Tucker and Bead game plan, and Jokic destroyed it this time around. He did. I don't think the T Wolves did as good of a job in executing the game plan as they probably could have. And also, Nas Reed just isn't as good of a defender one on one as somebody like PJ Tucker. So it's a little bit different. But I also think that Jokic hasn't seen Embiid as often as he's seen Gobert. He's played against Gobert all the time and knows exactly how to match up with a guy like him. And it's a little bit different with Embiid because he's a little bit bigger. But I, I still think that Denver was a little bit more well-suited for it. And I thought that the way that they involved Michael Porter in this game made it a lot easier to see that too. Uh, I don't think they involved Michael Porter much at all. And they went to more two-man game actions with Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic in the Philly game. But in this one, you get Michael Porter going off for 30 points on 11 of 15 from the field, 4 of 6 from 3, 4 of 4 from the free throw line, 5 rebounds. He was a plus 43. Think about that for a second. Like, how many games for an average player does it take for them to get to plus 43 on the season? Like, if you're on a good team, probably 5, 6, 7, 8, around there. Porter got it in one game. <laughs> and to be able to get it in one game and, and be the catalyst of it for as much as he was, he was so hot in that first quarter. You have to both pair what Jokic did as the facilitator, the orchestrator, with what MPJ did, which was just absolutely cook. But he didn't just settle from three. He didn't just hit jumpers. He was getting to the rim. He was cutting. He finished that alley-oop from Jokic on the baseline. He also had a really nice duck-in in the third quarter and back down. I think it was Bryn Forbes, but it just, I think, showed a lot of what MPJ has learned how to do as a scorer off ball. He is so good, in my mind, of creating and using his length to his advantage. And I think that power that you saw him backing down with in the third quarter, I think that says a lot about just where he is physically, where he is, because that's something that you saw back in 2021, where you didn't necessarily see a whole heck of a lot of it to begin this year. He was more perimeter bound, not necessarily looking for contact. Maybe he was trying to ease himself into the season with his back, but tonight he was playing physical. He dunked hard a couple times. He went to the rim. He's been falling down a lot lately, and I think that he just is a little bit more comfortable going through that process now, which is great. It's a really great thing for him to see and for the Nuggets to be able to experience in this particular game. So it's just really, really nice. I'm very, very happy with the way this team is playing right now. And like Jamal is part of it, to be clear, and he's obviously a massive part of it. But they have so many different ways now with their offense that they can kill you. One of those is just letting MPJ cook. One of those is just letting Jokic cook. You can absolutely like just dominate in the paint the way that they did. They, they Even with Nas Reed and Rudy Gobert on the floor at the same time, J.D. McDaniel's out there too. The Nuggets dominated the paint. They didn't just kill it from three. I think they were like seven of 13 from the three-point line in the first half or somewhere close to that. They finished the game 13 of 27, so it's not like they attempted a whole bunch of shots inside. Uh, let me see if I have the team stats here where I can get the points in the paint. 74 points in the paint. Like, what are we talking about here? 74 against Rudy Gobert. 
Like, that's crazy. That's a crazy, crazy number. And it's not perfect because, I mean, they didn't play Rudy Gobert for a bunch of the, the second half. That's for sure. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, they took their starters off the floor basically at the 830 mark of the third quarter. It was a wrap. It's kind of like the LA Clippers game from earlier this year, which is awesome. That's a, that's a great game to compare it to for sure. But yeah, let's move to Aaron Gordon real quick because he is also part of this where I didn't name him in the title of, of this pod, but I really do think that Aaron Gordon along with Porter and Jokic, like you know what those guys bring at their ceiling. You know what Gordon brings at their ceiling, but it's very rare that you see all three of those guys playing at their ceiling at the same time. But then you look what Gordon did tonight. 26 minutes, 24 points on 11 shots, two of three from the three. Had only three rebounds, but had eight assists, four steals, two blocks. That is crazy. Those are crazy numbers to to have in the short amount of time that he did. None of Denver's guys, like none of Jokic, Porter, Gordon, had over 30 minutes. They reached in between 26 and 29. And to be able to be as productive as they were, it shows why the plus minuses are as crooked as they were. I mean, Porter is plus 43. Jokic is plus 40. Aaron Gordon's plus 32. Like, those are stupid numbers. And it's great to see Denver getting to that place. They, they had four, uh, 30 point quarters consistently. They had a 49 point first quarter. And the pressure that they put on when those three are playing at the same time is crazy. It's crazy to watch. So I'm glad that Denver was able to find this gear without Jamal. I'm glad that they're able to take it to a team that clearly is not in their caliber. Minnesota's given the problems. And it's not surprising as, as I'm starting to struggle now. Uh, it is not surprising to see Denver play like this, but it took a little bit for them to adjust, I think, to Minnesota's length, to adjust to their size. I will say, not having Kyle Anderson for Minnesota, that's probably a big deal. It's probably a bigger deal than people realize. Nas Reed gets the start. He only plays 12 minutes tonight, which is, that's in and of itself, another crazy number. So, look, Denver can improve. They have shown the ability to improve. Their their bench still needs some work, of course. But the starters, I mean, what can you really say tonight? Like, KCP, in his minutes coming back from, he rolled his ankle in the uh, in the Atlanta game, landing on somebody, and missed this last Minnesota game, along with Jokic, along with Gordon, along with Murray. But KCP comes out, looks great. He has that big dunk right in Rudy Gobert's grill. Like, he's doing crazy things and playing great defense and doing great veteran things. That's what you need KCP to do. And for Denver to have all of these moving parts kind of come together at the same time, it's exactly what you need. That's the group that you're wanting to have out there and do consistently great things. So KCP is as big of a part of this as anybody. But like most of his role, he's a complimentary guy. He's not going to be the guy taking a whole bunch of shots. He's never going to be the guy that's creating for others all the time. But he fits into the system. He fits into the mold of what they need. And tonight, like, he played his role to a T. Could have probably even been better. Like, he missed a couple threes that he probably should have hit. But, I mean, that happens. That's just part of the process. And then Bruce Brown. We'll wrap up with him before we go to break here. Bruce Brown rolled his ankle early. He still did play 22 minutes, which is good. He was able to come back into the game. I wonder what his ankle is going to look like in the postgame. I wonder what it's going to look like tomorrow, where I guess it's now today, which 
That's why we do the midnight hour, folks. Um, I wonder if he sits the next game just because it, it sort of feels like he could use a night off as well. He's been playing a lot. But him coming back into the game after rolling his ankle, it looked pretty bad when he initially was hobbling around. He he got onto the ground and then hobbled over to the sideline initially. It felt to me like it could have been worse than what it actually was. So glad he was able to stay in the game. He still did some good things. He hit the three right at the end of the first quarter to put the Nuggets up 49 to 19, doing some crazy stuff. So, I mean, good to see. Good to see from him. And I am glad that he fills in as well as he does because it's just such an easy fit with him to plug him into the point guard, shooting guard, small forward role, whatever it is. He does it all. He does it beautifully. All right. Tell you what, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the second uh, the second unit, the bench lineup, and make sure that everybody gets their shine on that. Because, I mean, this is what happens when you when you have a, a massive game like this. Second segment, we'll go to the bench. Third segment, I'm going to do some trade talks, so make sure to stick around for that. But first, everybody, the final drive is here. And your friends over at Superbook Sports, they are absolutely letting you know that there's no better place to wager on the football title tilt than Superbook. Superbook features the best menu of prop bets in the business. Plus, check out their special odds boosts and promotions at Superbook.com. With over three decades of odds-making experience in Las Vegas, there's no better place to wager than Superbook Sports. Win some money as one lucky team wins the championship. Download the Superbook Sports app today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, we're back. Pick Axe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's now discuss the bench unit. Let's discuss the group. It actually wasn't very good. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was I was pretty disappointed with the way that the starters were, were playing as well as they did. I thought that the bench lineup had some holes in it. But George, I think, notes uh, Ish Smith, surprisingly effective with the starters. He's the guy that got the nod. He is the guy that's stepping up in place of Jamal Murray. He stepped into a backup role, which I think was very important for this team, making sure that they at least went the right direction. And I liked what he did because Bruce Brown initially, when he rolled his ankle, that was like three minutes into the game, maybe maybe just a little bit more. But Ish Smith comes into the game and Denver just doesn't miss a beat. And what he's able to do without getting in the way, setting like he's able to set the table for other folks, doesn't have to have the ball in his hands just as playing good team basketball where he's screening, cutting, moving, pushing the tempo in transition. I liked what I saw from Ish, and he, he was great for sure. Um, Next guy, I mean, but second half lineup, it was a little bit different. You had uh, Bruce Brown in there with that second, with that first half lineup, second half lineup, Davon Reed. They did not want to put Bruce Brown back out there with the ankle roll that he had. That's one of those things, but Bruce Brown would have been out there instead of Davon. So take that with a grain of salt. But individually, 
Ishmith, 29 minutes in this game, and, and he filled in beautifully. He had to fill in beautifully because, as we talk about later, Bones got the DNP once again. But Ish, eight points, four or six from the field, and I think all four of his makes were from the elbows. Just finds his way, navigates right to the right to the free throw line, right to the elbow, and hits the pull up right in front of Rudy Gobert, right in front of whoever the guy that is switched out on him. It was Luca Garza a couple times, I'm pretty sure, but. Eight points, seven assists, four rebounds, four turnovers, five fouls. There wasn't, there was some bad things in there. I, I want to make note of that just in case people are like, okay, this is, this is the perfect backup for the rest of the season. I don't think he's the perfect backup for the rest of the season. I think that Ish Smith is what he is. He's a spot guy. He isn't necessarily going to play every night. And ideally when Jamal's out there, I don't think that Ish plays. I, I think that. Bruce is going to play the backup point guard role, or he's going to slide over and play the two next to Jamal, who then kind of staggers with the bench and plays the one. But I did like what Ish did, and what he does consistently is pushing the tempo, making sure to set up guys in transition so that they can then make decisions, they can then make shots. I like what he does. He did some good things in garbage time as well, where he's just setting the table for pick and pops for Vlako Chanchar, for rolls to Jeff Green and and cuts to other guys. He, he just does a really good job of making sure that everybody stays involved. A good veteran point guard doing what he's doing. But Christian Brown, I think, is probably the guy that I, he just continues to be awesome with the bench. Continues to be the guy that I look to in these situations where you know he is going to be, like you know he's going to be good. You know he's going to be good pretty much every night. He hasn't had a bad game in a while. And for a rookie, that's really impressive. That is just a really, really, really impressive trait to have that level of consistency. Now, knock on wood, I've probably I've probably already jinxed him if we're, if we're being honest. That's just what I do. But Christian, when he played tonight, aggressive in transition, missed a three, but he hit every other shot had a really nice spinning layup in transition, had a really nice dunk in transition off of a Jokic pass, a Jokic dump off. He finds ways to cut through the teeth of the defense when, especially when it's not really teeth, especially when it's a, when it's a transition defense that is maybe not set, maybe a little bit half-hearted. Ish, uh, Ish Smith does a really good job of this as well, just pushing the gaps, pushing the tempo. Bruce Brown does this pretty well too. But Christian Brown, with his size and his athleticism to be able to do it, it's scary sometimes because teams will have to react to him. They will sell out in order to try to stop him at times. When when he gets onto the scouting report more consistently, when teams are trying to really stop him, they're going to have to hustle back. And that helps other guys. That helps put other guys into a position where he can hit them with kickouts. He can hit them in other situations that need be. But either way, eight points, three rebounds, two assists, two steals, plus 13. This is the version of Christian Brown that the Nuggets wanted. This is the version that they needed. They absolutely needed Christian Brown to be that dude. And I am glad that Christian Brown is stepping up to the plate when he needs to. Because it's it just, if you don't have Christian Brown, then you can't do what you're doing with Bones Highland. I think that's a thing that probably has to be said. Because if Christian Brown isn't as good and as steady as he is, then Denver's in between a rock and a hard place. And they just couldn't have done the things that they've done so far. 
Zlatko Chanchar. Good stuff, especially more in garbage time. I think he had two of his threes in garbage time. But, I, I mean, all of it was garbage time, let's be honest. 22 minutes for Vlatko, 12 points, 5 of 8 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3, 6 rebounds, 3 assists. Had a really nice dime to Jeff Green off of a cut. He continues to find guys, whether he's kicking out, whether he's dumping off. Vlatko moves the ball really, really well. And I just like what he does when he's out there at that four a little bit more than what I like when Jeff Green's out there next to Zeke Naji because with Jeff, he's just he's not making as many great decisions with the basketball right now. Vlatko just keeps the ball moving, and unless he's frazzled by something, unless he's trying to do too much, most of the time it's the right amount of keeping the ball moving, making sure that it's not sticking, making sure that everybody's moving around that and he's generating good shots as a result. Uh, he's a good secondary creator out there. And on a night like tonight where you're carving up the Minnesota Timberwolves like Swiss cheese, you need to make sure that everybody's moving. You need to make sure that everybody is involved and in doing what they need to do. So I am glad that Vlaco continues to get this opportunity and continues to run with it. He is a trustworthy player, or at least he's on the borderline of being a trustworthy player for a playoff series. Denver, they have enough guys now where I think you can feel pretty comfortable about them filling into various gaps. Are you going to ask Vlatko to play 30 minutes in a playoff game? No. He might only play 10. He might only play 8. But if those minutes are good, then it really, really helps the entire team. And finally, in the main rotation, Jeff Green. 14 minutes tonight, 7 points, 3 of 10 from the field. I know everybody feels some way about Jeff. I know that everybody is, they're not super happy about the way that Jeff has played. And to be honest, I get it. I, I think that he has, I think that he has slowed down a little bit in the categories that matter. I don't think he is finishing as well, given the little bit of lack of lift, a little bit of lack of athleticism and burst that he's more or less expecting himself to get to because he's been doing it for so long. I get it. But in general, I, I don't think his decision-making has been great. I don't think that he, his, his defense specifically has just not been good. If there was a culprit tonight for rotations or not grabbing loose balls or anything like that, it's probably Jeff. It's probably him at this point. And that's tough because like you're, you're hoping for everybody at every position to be solid. You want everybody to be doing what they need to do in order to win the title, in order to win every minute. You're not going to win every minute in the NBA, but you've got to be able to mitigate it. And right now, I think that at this point, Denver's not mitigating it really well when Jeff is out there. He's the only guy with a negative plus minus in that lineup. And I just think it's tough. I, I think he's in a tough spot. Davon Reed also wasn't great tonight. But if I'm if I'm looking at the guy thinking that, hey, you've probably got to be better, it's probably Jeff. Now, Matt Moore pointed out on Twitter, and I, I tend to forget about this, but Jeff is wearing a cast on his left hand. It's got to be tough to shoot with something like that. It's got to be tough to be functional with something like that. And I have no idea whether that's ever going to come off, whether that's going to be something that he has to wear during the playoffs. But if he gets to a point where he's comfortable without it, maybe the shooting improves. 
Right now, he's shooting a pretty low percentage from three. And right now, he's also not shooting that high of a percentage from two, at least in comparison to some of the other guys that get the shots where he's getting them. So we'll see. We'll see what it looks like. Maybe that is a spot where Denver tries to upgrade. But either way, I think that they can they can figure some things out and they'll be okay. It's uh, it's not the worst thing in the world to have Jeff Green in the lineup. Like, if he is the low point in a playoff rotation, your playoff rotation is pretty good. And finally, um, No Bones Highland. No Bones Highland, he gets a DNPCD. This might be Bones' final game. This might be Bones' final game with the team. I, I don't want to, like, I don't want to paint him into a corner and say, hey, look, you're, you're gone at this point. Like, there's always an opportunity for retribution. There's always an opportunity that the deals that the Nuggets are looking for kind of fall through. But DeAndre Jordan and Bones Highland were the only guys that didn't play. DeAndre, obviously, in a massive blow, he, he wasn't going to play anyway. This just wasn't the DeAndre night. But with Bones, like this would have been a perfect opportunity to throw him out there in even garbage time if he wasn't going to play. But, I mean, you had Bruce Brown, who rolled his ankle. Jamal Murray was already out. And Ish Smith played 29 minutes. So, like, there was definitely an opportunity for Bones to play, if need be. But, obviously, the prerogative has been set out that he's just not going to. And hopefully we get some clarity to the situation by Thursday. My guess is that he will not be there. My guess is that he will be moved, but as of where, I guess you have to find out for the third segment. So when we come back, we are going to go over first a word on LeBron James, but second, we're going to do some predictions of the biggest trade deadline deals uh, that are that are going to happen. I, I'm going to give you my predictions for five of them. back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Final segment as we get through, and we're going to cover, hey, Denver Nuggets, 38 and 17, doing fantastic. 26 and 4 at home. They have played 30 out of their 41 home games. They've only lost four of them. That is a crazy good number. It's not like the best number in franchise history. They once went 38 and 3 back in the 2012-13 season, so Take it with a grain of salt, but they are on pace to do some awesome things. And to be this good at home, this nearly undefeatable at home, is really, really impressive. And they have set themselves up where the trade deadline, they don't have to they don't have to beg. They don't have to put themselves into a position where they are compromised at, at the trade deadline. They they have some leverage here. But first, LeBron James set the all-time record for scoring tonight. Uh, first of all, I, I watched the game or I watched what I could in between working on this podcast and, and working for uh, writing articles for Mile High. But I was, I'm just really impressed with the way that TNT handled it. It was wild to see. It was a very interesting experience to see him hit the shot, which was, it was a great shot, by the way. Uh, just the, the fade away from the free throw line, basically, the, the elbow extended. And, 
to hit that shot. It was funny that they they called a timeout. I think it was an official timeout. They didn't give anybody a delay a game or anything, but it was an official timeout. Call that. Everybody gives the ovation. They do a ceremony right then and right there with 10 seconds left in the third quarter or so. And it was pretty interesting to see. But it got me thinking about, man, LeBron James used to be my favorite player of all time. He used to. I'm I'm 26. I'm young. He was the guy that when I was growing up, he was always the dude who, like, he for the decision, he was villainized for obvious reasons. I, at that point, because he went there in 2010, I think I was 13 at that time. So I didn't really feel any sort of villainy. I didn't feel any sort of betrayal in that situation. Although it was cool to root against him when uh, when Dallas came up, like when they won their first title. That was pretty cool. But like, you see him go through it. You see him win those two championships in Miami. You see him go back and win one in Cleveland, and he kind of acquitted himself. He put himself into a situation where he did the thing that he was supposed to do. And then he, on the way to in the bubble, he defeats the Nuggets while I'm covering the team, while I'm covering the Nuggets. And you gain a sort of respect, even though it hurts, you gain a sort of respect for somebody to be able to do that. When I saw how great the Nuggets were that, se- that series, and when, when they were that season, I didn't know how good the Nuggets were going to be that year, but it became clear in that game five, that the better team was going to win. And LeBron just absolutely shut the door on the Nuggets in that series. And that was a crazy one for sure. Uh, But the way that LeBron, it's funny. You think about the Miami years, that was exactly 20% of his years in the NBA. 20, that's it. It was a very small chunk of time, but maybe the best, or at least close to the best peak that we've ever seen in the sport at that point. And a lot of people will argue for Michael. A lot of people will argue for Kobe or Kareem or guys like that. But to see what he's done over the course of 20 years, it's been really, really cool. And it is just an objectively cool thing. I don't want to belabor the points because I'm sure everybody is doing this on their podcast. Everybody's doing this on their show right now. But uh, I think that he's great. I think he will probably go down as my goat, if not like 1B to Michael Jordan's 1A. But I got cuz I'm getting I'm getting a laugh from Michael on, on who's hiding on the on the producer side of this thing. He's uh he is not super happy with that comment, but no, like I mean, he's he's been fantastic for his entire career and it's it's not just about like respecting greatness or anything like that. It's just about acknowledging that this is a an Iron Man sort of feat that I don't think we're ever going to see again. And it was a cool moment to be able to celebrate this. It was even funnier that it happened in an L because that's hilarious. Uh, But either way, no, really good moment for LeBron. Good moment for the Lakers fans and for LeBron fans in general who have supported him for the last two decades. That's a crazy number to say. All right. Final thing here. Let's get into the trade deadline deals. I have a couple of deals that I want to... Make sure to go over right now. Some of this is like, it's not super sourced. This is more like just connecting dots. These moves haven't happened yet and they may not happen, but this is what I would do if I were these teams in these situations. And I'd be really looking forward to trying to uh, talk through these a bit with some of these teams. Like I, I think that there are some interesting ones here. So the first one, 
OG Ananobi. OG Ananobi has been predicted to be traded to a whole bunch of teams. I've, I've seen that half the league basically has caught, has contacted Toronto on that. I predict that Toronto trades OG Ananobi and Thaddeus Young to the Sacramento Kings for Harrison Barnes, Davion Mitchell, two unprotected first-round picks, and a couple second-rounders. And the reason why, because Sacramento can't play any defense. They can't. They have not been able to so far this year. If there was a guy that could help them do that, then they should probably do that. And OG Ananobi is probably one of those guys. Thad Young, like I mean, Davion Mitchell losing him on the perimeter for them would be tough. But OG Ananobi is just one of those guys that you can throw in your starting lineup and think, okay, we've got a chance. We've got a chance to defend these teams. And he could switch one through five, do a whole bunch of fun things. I think that he would be a great fit in Sacramento in between Fox and Sabonis. Do a lot of the things that Aaron Gordon does for Jamal and for uh, Nicola. Like that's just a, I think that's a great trio that they should try to unite for the foreseeable future. And then hopefully Keegan Murray continues to develop into something. They've got Kevin Herter spacing. They'll be great offensively, even with OG Ananobi maybe not having his best offensive year, but he'd be pretty good. And like Abel says, Sacramento with defense would be notable. Right now, they are what people say the Nuggets are where they just don't have any defense while they have an elite offense. Add OG and Anobi to that, and that's about as good of an opportunity as you can get. Like Harrison Barnes is a fine defender. OG and Anobi is an elite defender. There are ways that this could really help both teams. Next, Brooklyn trades Ben Simmons to the San Antonio Spurs for Doug McDermott, Josh Richardson, and a protected first-round pick. This one is interesting to me because I think that I think it was Bill Simmons on his podcast, the BS Pod, who said that Ben Simmons should go to San Antonio to try to rehab his career. I think that's a great idea. I think that's wonderful. And I think it makes a lot of sense for Ben Simmons, who's been in the spotlight for as long as he has been, to try to get out of it for at least a little bit, rehab his game, put him into a position where he can start learning how to shoot. And maybe that's a a this is a low swing for a San Antonio team that has all the time in the world. Like you might as well take that time. And if it doesn't work, then you can trade him. And all he gave up was Doug McDermott, Josh Richardson, and a protected first round pick. That's it. I think that makes a lot of sense. And then for the, uh, for, yeah, for Brooklyn, like Abel says here, Simmons and Claxton are rough. You don't have to deal with that anymore. You have Doug McDermott as a spacer. You have Josh Richardson as kind of your your guard defender in that situation who can kind of do some of the things that Simmons was doing while not being a horrible spacing option. And it's weird for Durant. I'm sure he would not be super happy about it, but he would have a ton of veterans at that point. Like around him, Claxton, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Josh Richardson, Cam Thomas is going to be your gunner off the bench now. Like, there's a lot of interesting things that I think Brooklyn can do if they move Ben Simmons, who just does not fit into what they're trying to do. He's a shell of what he was, so might as well try to do something different. Number three, the Lakers trade Russell Westbrook and both of their first-round picks to the Utah Jazz for the three of Malik Beasley, Mike Conley, 
and Jared Vanderbilt. It's a lot of guys. It's a lot of players that could potentially help the Lakers. Mike Conley would be great for them. He's just a really smart player. Malik Beasley would be great for them. He is just a great floor spacer. And Jared Vanderbilt, hustler for them. They get bigger. They get another guy that they can rotate in with Rui Hashimura. Don't have to rely on Rui the entire time. You've got him. You've got Thomas Bryant. You've got LeBron. You've got AD. You get back to that mentality that you had, that identity that you had in the bubble team, where you were big, you were strong, you were physical, and you were smart. Those teams would be better. Like this, this group would be better. And you, you sacrifice your two first round picks to try to get it. And I know that the Lakers are trying to be disciplined, but they should trade the picks. Like LeBron is going to leave when he wants to leave. But if you give him a reason to stay and, and try to maximize that positioning, like I think that LeBron, AD, and a crew of role players could still get through the regular season and into the playoffs and make some noise, but they have to get through it. They have to. put themselves into a position where they can actually do that. This would help them do that. And for Utah, like you got two first round picks for a team that has a 38 year old LeBron, like, come on, like it makes, it makes plenty of sense to, to try to do that for them too. Russell Westbrook, big expiring. Don't have to deal with the contract money. It'll be a good idea. Number four, actually, let me take a glass of water here. Number four, the Warriors trade James Wiseman, Moses Moody, and a draft pick to the Charlotte Hornets for P.J. Washington, Cody Martin, and Jalen McDaniels. Very similar. Very similar to the Lakers deal, in my opinion, where the Warriors, they trade guys that aren't helpful for multiple players that are. P.J. Washington would be a great Golden State Warriors player. He makes a lot of sense in a small ball system where you switch everything, you space the floor, you cut, you have skill players at all those positions. Cody Martin, very similar. He's a kind of a wing style player, kind of like a Christian Brown, kind of like a, like maybe a worse Alex Caruso, a slightly bigger, slightly worse Alex Caruso in that mind. And then Jalen McDaniels is their lengthy, athletic, shot blocking big, kind of like a James Wiseman, but just a little bit better and a little bit more ready to contribute now. I think that makes sense for both sides because if you're the Hornets, you get upside. You get Wiseman. You get Moses Moody, two guys that were drafted in the first round in each of the pre, like two of the previous three drafts. And then you get a draft pick attached to that. I'm not sure what it would be, but I don't think that the Warriors actually do that. It would be nice if they did it. (laughs) Like that, that would be my personal hope if I were a Warriors fan would be to do something like that and to fill out the rest of the rotation with quality pieces, because if you think about it right now, they've got their top six, or maybe top seven. You have Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, and Looney. And then you have Jordan Poole, and they have Dante DiVincenzo, who's been fantastic. But you need to add to that. And this way you get P.J. Washington, you get Cody Martin, you get Jalen McDaniels. You fill out your rotation, put yourself into a position like you had last year, where you had a whole bunch of guys that could contribute. You aren't just short-staffed the entire time. And I think that that team is right now because you can't trust Wiseman. You can't trust Moody. You can't trust a lot of these guys, like in, including some of the guys that they have on the bench themselves, like a Jamichael Green, who they got from Denver. They're not from Denver. They got him 
after he was waived. But like he just hasn't been helpful enough. PJ Washington is a much better upgrade over him. Like, what are we doing? If they're gonna actually win a title, you gotta go for it. Like you can't just hold on to James Wiseman. That seems like a horrible idea, but maybe they will. Arrogance has definitely painted them into that where they're holding on to Wiseman because they cannot admit, specifically Joe Lacob cannot admit when he is wrong. Uh, Michael Hahn says Denver versus uh, Warriors Western Conference Finals. That would be crazy. That would be a crazy Western Conference Finals because what it means is that the Warriors got through two rounds. It means that they're in a position where they are on the brink of going back. And it would be really tough, I think, to see them at that point because they'll have developed some confidence. They'll have developed some chemistry in order to get together and, and then you face Denver a team that they've had success against before. So I don't think they'd have as much success against Denver, that's for sure. But I do think that the Warriors versus Nuggets Western Conference Finals would be incredible. And I I hope that that would be Jokic's coronation and Murray's coronation. That would be very cool. And finally, final trade. Nuggets trade Bones Highland to the New York Knicks for Cam Reddish and a 2025 first-round pick. That is my official prediction on what happens on draft day. Bones Highland is a player that could help the Knicks a lot. They don't have great guard play. They do not have, like, Emmanuel Quickly is a guy. Jalen Brunson is a guy. Actually, you know, now that I say that, that sounds pretty dumb because they actually have some pretty good point guard play. But they could use another scorer, and everybody could use another scorer. And to me, Cam Reddish is just one of those guys. Maybe it's not a first rounder. Maybe it's a second rounder. But Cam Reddish is one of those guys that they invested in thinking, hey, the version of this that works out makes a lot of sense. That hasn't happened for them. They haven't been able to make make that happen. And So Denver then takes a chance on a guy like Cam Reddish. Denver's been gearing up on a whole bunch of wings. They have a bunch of wings right now on their roster that make a lot of sense around Jokic and in between Jokic and Murray. Bruce Brown has made sense. KCP has made sense. Christian Brown has made sense. Cam Reddish is not going to play over those guys, but he could be one of those players that, hey, Bruce Brown walks in free agency. Christian Brown becomes your sixth man. Cam Reddish becomes your seventh or eighth. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. Denver is going to need guys going forward that, can really help them, but can be cheap, are good enough that they deserve to be in a rotation, but not good enough that they that they deserve more money. Cam Reddish could be one of those guys. I, I don't think that he's going to be, but it is a chance that they would take. And then if it doesn't work, then he expires and it's not a big deal. And then you get draft capital along with it. And New York gets a guy in Bones Island who I think would flourish there. I think you'd have a lot of positivity in a place like that. And then they have definitely thought that Emmanuel quickly could get moved. Maybe if that does happen, then that opens up the door for Bones. Maybe. I don't know. We're going to have to see. But that is my prediction as of now. Could change. Uh, Intel will probably determine that. But I do think that Denver has at least a passing interest in Cam Reddish, knowing that he's a big wing that can defend. So we will see. But for now, folks, I think that is going to do it on this show. Uh, good win. Good win for Denver tonight. 146 points. I think it's their most on the season, if I'm not mistaken. And you go crazy at home. Jamal Murray gets another day of rest. 
Hopefully, he's back and healthy and ready to go after in the next opportunity. And hopefully, you get some a little bit more clarity on the trade deadline after that happens. But for now, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, I will be back. We're doing a live show for everybody that is in here. We're doing a live show on tw- at 12.30 on Thursday, uh, 12.30 p.m. Trade deadline is 1 p.m., so make sure to stick around uh, for that. That'll be a lot of fun. I have no doubt that Denver will have some things happen, and the rest of the NBA will have some things happen, too. That'll be a conversational show as well. We will be able to talk about it all. Should be a lot of fun. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Talk to you guys very soon.